everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. Well, we continue for uh, our, our, our focus this summer on um, uh, letters from Patmos. And uh, we ended the story, and it was a great time uh, going through the story. But how can you do Revelation uh, and this amazing apocalyptic book in, in one week? And so uh, we've just taken some time this summer to just kind of hone in on these letters that Jesus uh, is, is giving John, and John is writing to this these historical churches. In fact, uh, this morning, uh, you can see that uh, there, there it is. It was just took a little bit of time there. We, we started at, uh, at Ephesus. You see Patmos there, and we're in Smyrna and Pergamum. And this morning, about 40, 45 miles to the east, kind of the southeast there of Pergamum, and uh, Thyatira, or Thyatira, uh, looking at the, the spelling on that one, yeah, Thyatira, I have a different spelling here, but this, this community, Thyatira, was located 45 miles from Pergamum. Now, the interesting thing about this city is there was a Roman garrison there, but it wasn't necessarily there to defend, more to delay, because they were really interested in protecting Pergamum, which was to the west, because that was the capital of that area. And uh, if they could slow the attack down at Thyatira, then what they could do is uh, uh, prolong and prepare for the the ultimate attack on on the city of Pergamum. So it was kind of dispensable. However, it was on a trade route. And as as, as we studied, and you can see in history, they had these trade guilds, which were kind of like... uh, Unions on steroids, okay? I mean, we'll see this here in a second. In fact, if you look in Acts chapter 16, we discover that Paul's first convert when he went to Philippi was a woman named Lydia, and she was from Thyatira, and and she sold purple cloth. And she was the one that came to Christ and told Paul and Silas, hey, you can meet at my house and have church there. And she was kind of the the first seed of that beautiful church there. And in our New Testament, we see the, 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 the letter to the Philippians and that was at Philippi where that happened. Now, um, uh, back to this idea and this concept of trade guilds. Uh, they, they differed from our unions in that they were linked with worship to other gods, all right? Each guild had a guardian god, all right? So you had a lot of paganism there, and the members would be expected to attend or participate in these guild activities or these parties, and they'd included offerings and eating, you know, food uh, sacrificed to idols and feasts and even immorality. That was often tied into pagan worship. We saw that at Ephesus, uh, the goddess Diana, and just some of the, 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 the brokenness and the, the, the corruption, the sexual immorality that took place oftentimes with the worship of these gods or goddesses. Now, the members of the church in Thyatira, they would have been torn between making a living and being faithful to their call to follow Jesus Christ because of what these guilds or what these unions were requiring of them. And so this morning, I just want us to look at a few of these verses here as, as Jesus writes this letter. Uh, and uh, first of all, he starts with kind of a, we, we kind of get the picture of who Jesus is and defining himself to this church. He says, to the angel of the church at Thyatira, write these, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Wow. Um, Son of God. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a very vivid picture there. Bronze feet and blazing eyes. And, and uh, it, it, what's interesting, this is the only place in all of the book of Revelation that we find Jesus referred to the Son of God, as the Son of God. And, uh, you know, likely it's, it's because in this city, the Son of God would speak to them that in the end, Christ was in control. 
persecution, there was probably a new wave of persecution during the time of this writing. Uh, uh, the Domitian Empire and emperor, he was, he was ratcheting up uh, uh, persecution towards the church. They'd already had Nero, you know, a few decades earlier where Christians were killed. And we've even seen where some had given their lives. We saw that last week for the sake of, of Christ. And so uh, when they heard Son of God, they would probably be reminded that Christ has the ultimate authority uh, over all the world and all that's hostile against, uh, against them and against him. In Matthew 28, verse 18, we're, we're reminded of this scripture. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. So they would be hearing this. This would be what would be taught to them. And so when they heard Son of God, they probably just, they just probably took a breath and said, yeah, Jesus is large and in charge over everything. Eyes like flaming fire and, 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 uh, and bronzed feet. If you look in Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, you see the same imagery that is, is being uh, 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 spoken of here. And those flaming eyes, potentially those eyes that penetrate that all, knowing that all seeing, uh, 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 the, the, the penetrating eyes of God are being uh, communicated there. In Hebrews chapter 4, we see this scripture, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open. Uh, to the eyes of him who we must give account. So uh, the authors of the New Testament, they recognize that, that God was omnipresent, that Christ in his, in his resurrected form, the Godhead, they, they see we have the Holy Spirit in the church and filling us as individuals and, 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 and God the Father, God the Son, they have the capacity to see all things. And that's this, these, these eyes of, of fire potentially here. The bronze feet, uh, the hardest metal known at that time was bronze and often spoke of judgment and correction. So that's the picture that we get of Jesus. And then we see, as oftentimes the Lord would start with, uh, to these churches, kind of a, 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 some encouragement. And here's the encouragement that we see, I know your deeds, and I know your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. In verse 19, we see that, chapter 2. Uh, man, that's the kind of... That's a, that's, a, that's a really cool church, isn't it? I mean, think of that. You got love. You're filled with faith. Uh, you, you're quick to serve. You're persevering and doing more. Is that, does that speak of maturation? Does that mean that they're growing as a community of believers? Most importantly, if we're growing individually in our faith and our walk with the Lord, oftentimes we, we see reproduction as others come to Christ through the fire and the passion that's burning in our lives. And so I would believe they're a loving church, a serving church, a faith-filled church, and a, and a maturing and a growing church. I think that's what Jesus said. And that sounds like a great church. That's kind of our poster church. That, that, you know, stick that up as the target. That's the standard. I mean, we could just close right now and go home and pray that we become this church. Maybe we're becoming this church. I believe we, we take in a lot of these, uh, these attributes here, and we, we model a lot of these attributes. But... Uh, uh, this is a great standard to be reached, ideal target, loving, serving, faith-filled, maturing. Uh, but hold on, there's a nevertheless coming, isn't there? Because not only does Jesus give encouragement, but just as a parent, and this is the way God works in our lives, just as, a, as in our best days as parenting, we are quick, quick to encourage, and we are also quick to correct if somebody's going the wrong direction that we love. And that someone, of course, as parents are our children, Right? So we see this correction here. Jesus says, nevertheless, 
I have a few things against you because you allow that that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants uh, and to commit sexual immorality and eat things uh, sacrificed to idols. So some in the church were being misled and deceived by, uh, uh, by, by this person who Jesus is calling a Jezebel and uh, self-proclaimed prophetess. Those are always the ones that make me nervous. Don't they make you nervous? You know, I don't know how you discern whether you're a prophet, probably by the fruit of your prophecies. But if somebody comes telling you they're a prophet or prophetess, you may want to just say, okay, well, let's just wait and see. And this is what Jezebel is doing in this case, this woman that's leading this self-proclaimed prophetess, uh, misleading the people. She's that bad apple that's messing with the whole basket of apples because we saw the beauty of this church, but now Jesus is saying, there's something broken here. There's something that needs to be fixed, and we need some correction here. And uh, a prophet is one who speaks for God. It could be of, of events yet to come. We see that in the New Testament. Of course, we see it throughout the Old Testament, a couple times maybe in the New Testament. But also a prophet uh, is, 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 is one that delivers and communicates the, the Word of God because in the Word of God, as we get a picture of the Word, Jesus made flesh, that what happens is uh, there's a, a prophetic stirring many times, if not often, uh, in, in a case of, of, of the prophetic. And so, uh, you know, sometimes we, we appreciate those who have a call and a prophetic move on their lives, but sometimes we make a bigger thing of it maybe than it needs to be uh, in the sense that we're looking for the person that rides into town and they've got a long beard and uh, they, they, they wear some, some different kind of clothes. And I've actually met prophets like that in my day, not here, in, in another place, in another time. And so you just you look at it and go, kind of wide-eyed. They look like they rolled right out of, uh, you know, uh, right out of the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah's little brother or something like that, you know. But uh, uh, I think there's a beautiful, a beautiful, uh, uh, just a, a rhythm that we, that we find in Christ in the New Covenant uh, where prophecy comes from all, it, it exhorts, it lifts up, it builds up, and it can come in a word, it can come in a a, an utterance, and it can come in uh, a message being spoken, and uh, prophecy is beautiful. And this woman was a fake, and she's teaching some crazy stuff, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and she's seducing, literally, as you can see here, uh, the, uh, some of the people to, to commit sexual immorality and tying in probably to these guilds, probably to this, uh, this, these unions within this town that are tied into pagan uh, worship and such. And so uh, uh, I, I can imagine this. I can imagine Jezebel in this city saying, God has told me it's all right. It's all right to go and be a part of the guilds and the unions and to participate in the immoral and idolatrous worship that occurs in, their, in, 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 in the meetings there. And, uh, and, and she's saying, God has told me. And who wants to argue with someone who says, God said? She was saying this, essentially God said, but God wasn't saying, obviously. Because uh, all you'd have to do is weigh it against Scripture and God's, uh, God's genuine uh, uh, directive for us as, as, as followers of Christ. So uh, um, you know, how do you disagree with a, with a prophet? God has told me it's all right. And we've seen this throughout history. People who say God said, I was just looking last week a little bit about Jim Jones and some of the things he would say. And of course, that's a very extreme case and how he 
transport over a thousand people to the the the, the nation of uh, the uh, Ghana and South America, and and literally within a year or so of the majority of those people getting there, he gives them a a purple drink laced with cyanide and 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 encourages all of them and convinces all of them the best thing to do is to take their lives, and he was using a whole lot of God said in that. Now that is a, a extreme case of a Jezebel spirit, uh, but it's in our day today in different shapes and forms, fashions, right? So. This church, of course, had some amazing qualities, some amazing characteristics, uh, but it was in danger of being destroyed by, by this corrupt teaching and this influence. So who, who was Jezebel? There's nothing happened here, is there, Tim? Did we blow our air conditioners? <laughs> There's no HVAC people here in the congregation, I take it. <laughs> All right. So... Uh, how can, you know, she was the queen of Israel at the time. She was married to uh, the King Ahab, if you go back in the Old Testament. Just a quick overview who Ahab. She was a historical person, and Jesus is using her character and kind of her, her model as someone who uh, is corrupting this church uh, in, in Asia. And uh, queen, queen of Israel during Elijah, the prophet Elijah's reign, right? Daughter of a pagan king. Again, married to Ahab, the king of Israel. She turned first the heart of her husband and then the whole heart of Israel toward the worship of, of idolatrous gods, uh, Baal specifically. Uh, her first official act was to kill the prophets of the Lord in 1 Kings chapter 17. Wow, I mean, she, she did away with God's spiritual leaders and replaced them with her own prophets, prophets of Baal. Uh, she is very powerful. I mean, Elijah had no problem uh, confronting the 800-plus prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, but when he caught wind that Jezebel was after him. He fled like a, like, like a cat, all right? And uh, Jezebel replaced God's word with teaching of the, of the of pagan prophets, right? So that's Jezebel. That's the historical Jezebel. She was a mean motor scooter. And uh, the fact is, uh, she, was, uh, she was someone in time and place in Old Testament history, and she's being used here as an example of, of, of someone who's trying to seduce and to destroy this church. Uh, so how... How, do you, how, how can we tell whether a teaching or a doctrine is from God or, or kind of a spirit of Jezebel, all right? So here's, here's just a couple things. Jezebel, the Jezebel spirit uh, loves evil, all right? Uh, it, it doesn't love what's good. It loves evil. And, uh, and I think the way we try to discern what's of God and what's not of God in the day that we live is we kind of weigh it that way. If, if, if it's pursuing darkness and evil, it obviously would, would stand out as something that's not of Christ. Paul warned, warned the, the Ephesian elders against such false teaching in Acts chapter 20. He said, I, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on guard, Paul says. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So, Paul, kind of like a father in the faith, an apostle, he establishes this church at Ephesus, and he's saying there's going to come a time when these false prophets, when these people, men or women, come in with a, a Jezebel spirit and, uh, and uh, try to distort and lead you astray. And, uh, and that's the same today as it was back then. Jezebel loves evil, and... Uh, and that's why it's important for us to strengthen our, our understanding of Scripture. Jezebel also deceives a lot of people, okay? The deception is her 
Emol. She was uh, controlling. Uh, she was controlling the spiritual climate of Israel during that time. Even though her husband was king, she was queen. And again, she was her by taking out the godly prophets and putting in pagan prophets. She was controlling the spiritual climate. In fact, there was a, one of the one of the false prophets was named Zedekiah, and uh, at one point. Uh, the, uh, Ahab asked for some direction on whether to attack this town. And, and, and so he comes in and he says this, this false prophet. He says, this is what the Lord says. With these, you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed and all the other prophets. So it wasn't just this Zedekiah, but all the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. And they were saying, attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious. They said, look at this, for the for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. These guys were false prophets. These guys were connected to Baal. What Lord are they talking about? Is Baal promising that? Uh, the, and they were, they were said that they're speaking for God, uh, and, uh, but they, did, they weren't hearing God's words, and Ahab would find that out because that became his ruin. He died at that battle. Uh, uh, and, and so you see there that the deception that... that would probably have been taking place in that church and which has taken place in the church throughout history. And finally here, Jezebel hates truth. Uh, Jehoshaphat asked Ahab, he's, he's working alongside the king, and, and he asked him, is, is there a true prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of before we go and attack Ramoth Gilead? And here's, here's the response. It's a little earlier in what I just wrote, a little er, read a little early in the passage. In verse 9 it says, The king of Israel, Ahab answered Jehoshaphat, there is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. Why? Because he tells the truth, all right? Because he doesn't hate the truth. He doesn't speak falsely. He's a true prophet, and he's standing on truth, and he's going to communicate truth, and that's Ahab's response. Uh, he hates uh, me because he never says anything good about me. And uh, uh, Jezebel hates truth. And, and De Jezebel loves evil and deceives. And deception is, is her mode of operation. And I'm speaking of a, a spirit. That's what was present there at Thyatira. Now, as followers of Christ, we've been, we've been given a beautiful gift. We call it the Bible. It's made up of two testaments, two covenants. This is Covenant was the original word. We have an old and a new covenant. And uh, we, we love what we see as Paul writes his second letter to Timothy. It's a pastoral letter. And he says this, and a lot of us have memorized this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, that man is gender neutral, okay? Now, obviously, if you're teaching and you're a male or if you're a female or you're in your own private life and personal life, the fact is, for humans, the Scripture has been given to us to, uh, to give us direction. And uh, I'm going to unpack that just for a couple minutes, and then we're going to say amen and go home and fan ourselves, okay? The spirit of Jezebel has always been present in Christian history, okay? All right. Here's a shock statement. I'm not sure you're going to be able to handle this. It's getting too warm. If you were to ask me this question, do you follow the Bible? This isn't my, this isn't my uh, shock statement, but I'm borrowing it from, a, <clears throat> from an Anabaptist in Toronto, okay? 
If you asked me, Pastor Brian, do you follow the Bible? I would say no, and neither should you. Oh boy, here come the stones. Okay, let me, what did he just say? Stop the tape, right? <laughs> Rewind. No, I follow Jesus and so do you, all right? We don't follow the scripture, we follow the word. The word made flesh, John chapter 1. Why? Why do we read the scripture? Why do we memorize the scripture? Why do we follow? Because it points us to the word made flesh. We follow Jesus Christ. We are followers of the risen Lord. How do we combat a spirit of Jezebel? And we could unpack this for probably a couple weeks and really dig down and try to figure out, because there's been books written about the Jezebel. And I just saw a guy I'd met years ago who's writing a book right now on the Jezebel spirit and all these things. And we can really unpack it and elaborate on it. But the fact is, the way we deal with deception and hatred and impurity as it aligns or tries to creep into the church is we follow Jesus Christ. I read the Bible, but I follow the Word. I read the, the Word, capital W, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's what I'm calling Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. I read the Bible to discover Jesus Christ. My desire is to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus' life and Jesus' teachings. Okay. So that's a safe thing to say. Now, I know it's, you know, you... I, I was raised in an evangelical world. I still am in an evangelical world. I, our roots are Pentecostal and charismatic, and it's just another way of saying I'm part of a big tent of people who believe that, that God's word is very important and it's, it's, it's our gift, uh, but, uh, and it's a gift for the church. Uh, and just as we saw there in 2 Timothy that's still up there, it's God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Uh, but uh, my desire is to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. So what am I saying? History is filled with leaders doing acts of violence sanctioned through Scripture. I believe that's a Jezebel spirit. Until Constantine, which he showed up in the early 300s, okay, the 4th century, Christians practice a peace-loving, nonviolent faith. All right? But once it became legal in Rome, and Rome declared Christianity is... Is, is, the, is the new state religion, then things change because with that came power. And within a few years, Christians are going into pagan temples and taking the lives of the pagan priests. That's in history. I don't have the exact location here. I just remember that from my history readings in the early church. So uh, when, we, when we take Scripture outside of the lens of Jesus Christ, uh, we can make it dance any way we'd want to, all right? And uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount model, Jesus made it really clear. Just study the sermon, those three chapters there in Matthew. Uh, Jesus is, is, is speaking of a gospel and a message that is so upside down from what the world, it's so anti-empire, it's so, it's so peace-driven and nonviolent. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then following Following Constantine, you know, as you go a few, few hundred years into, into Christianity and as Rome becomes, and, and as the emperor, I should say, as, as the church crawls into bed with the empire, you have crusades and you have inquisitions and all sanctioned from scripture. In the 16th century, the noted Swiss reformer and theologian uh, uh, and pastor and very gifted, and we, many of us are blessed as those who, who studied his 
his, his, reading, his writings. But John Calvin denounced Michael Servetus as a heretic and then had him executed. And this was justified uh, for them in the Bible. Uh, you could see it in the Scripture. You can find in Scripture when somebody becomes a heretic and starts speaking wrongly of the Godhead or the Trinity, in that time, in that season, it was okay to burn them at the stake, and he was burned at the stake. Sadly, I cannot find anywhere that Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. However, if they have bad theology on the Trinity, burn them at the stake. It's not there, is it? So, what's... Why am, I, why am I bringing such confusion to your peaceful world this morning? Well, maybe because the African slave trade and the slave triangle, that, that, that an estimated 13 million Africans were shipped over, but not that many made it because so many died. If you'll take a look at the slave trade uh, boats, for over 400 years, 13 million men, women, young and old, were shipped to this part of the world, from Europe, the boats went down off the northern, northwest coasts of Africa, and then they came over to the Caribbean, some went down to Brazil, then up into here. Why? So that the empires in Europe could become wealthier through their slave labor in the fields, in the textile industry, or whatever. It all goes back to empire. Just look it up on Wikipedia, all right? What if Christians would have stood up at the beginning and read the Bible through the eyes of Jesus? And ultimately, they did. That's what stopped it in Europe. Watch the movie Amazing Grace, okay? Listen to the words of the song Amazing Grace. Its author was a slave boat. I, I mean, what, 300,000 slave traders, I think, in the course of 400 years, if I remember. It was crazy. What if at the very beginning someone would have said, whoa, 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 you may see that in the Bible there's slavery and whether it's not, but nowhere looking through the lens of Jesus Christ, is it right for me to accept these Africans who are being brought to the shores by their own people, many, many Muslims, if you read history, there's this war going on, they're selling the slaves to the white ship slaveholder or uh, yes, slave masters uh, or, or, or transporters, and if somebody would have just stood up and said, wait, 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 you've somewhere read that slavery is condoned not through the eyes of Jesus. I read Scripture through Christ, and I can't get past Matthew 6 or 7 or 8 without saying, this thing has to stop. And by the way, ultimately, it was stopped because Christian evangelicals stood up and said, enough is enough. And from what I understand, up in the north, there were times when Charles Finney would stand out in front of churches and say, if you believe in slavery, you're going to hell. <laughs> that could mess up your Sunday picnic, huh? When coming out, this guy's out there with his, with his picket sign going, you're going to burn extra hot, right? And that was the conscience that uh, it was Christianity and people reading through the lens of Jesus Christ, through the eyes of the word made flesh, that this atrocity was was stopped, but not soon enough, right? And we're still feeling the impact of this. None of us, what, less than 4% of Americans are related to slave owners? But look what it's done to the soul of our nation. Because Christians, Christians chose not to read God's word through the lens of the word made flesh. And as a result... Spirit of Jezebel crept into a culture, a time, and a space 
And a whole lot of death and a whole lot of brokenness continues even today because of that bad seed, huh? So you can find justification for just about anything, but if we're not careful, anything bad, if we're not careful, uh, through the Bible, finish my statement there, if we're not careful to, to see how Jesus sees and to, to look to Christ, okay? So I'll conclude here. How do we, how do we avoid this, this spirit, this Jezebel spirit of hating truth and loving evil and promoting deception? Uh, live our lives by the example that Jesus gives us. I think that's kind of where I'm at in the season of my, my life. Uh, just a quick little, quick little shout out before I close here. But uh, my mom and dad, when I was one years old, modeled Jesus in a really special way. They were pastoring a church. Dad planted the church in the mid-50s in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. The church is still there on Highway 53. But there was a young man who was pretty broken and I think in foster care, Dwayne, if that's the case, if I remember right, and was abused. And uh, my mom and dad, uh, who were probably um, late 20s and had four sons at that time, I was the youngest, about one years old, they opened up the doors of their home and, the, and, the, and their hearts to this young man. And uh, uh, I just, I don't know if I have a lot of memories. My mom tells me that here's this young 16 or 17-year-old Dwayne Nygaard coming into our home. Uh, and, you know, the oldest child at that time is probably 10 or 11. And, and he would carry me around and bounce and throw me up in the air and looked like he was going to drop. He may have dropped me a couple times. I don't know. But... Uh, but that uh, people thought that he was my daddy. He's a big guy, you know, and, uh, and I kind of looked like him. I had blonde hair or no hair at that time. I don't know. But something happened in that, in that kind of Christianity that transformed Dwayne's life. And he would tell you, he's here today after what, uh, you haven't seen mom and dad for 50 years. Uh, but the seed of the gospel was planted in his life, and he and his wife Judy are faithful Christ followers living in Northern California today. And after 50 years of being away from mom and dad, they came to visit this weekend. But what a great example of living Christ, living our faith through the lens of and the life of Jesus Christ, allowing Jesus to be that lens, allowing him to be that magnifying glass. And it probably wasn't the most practical thing for mom and dad to do. They they had so much going on in their life at that time, and, uh, but I'm sure glad they did it. And uh, yeah, Judy said amen. Because it, when we're faithful to the Lord, there's always a domino effect, isn't there? There's always a, it's, it's like we plant this seed and, 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 and kingdom harvest is absolutely phenomenal. And that's, that's, that's a great story of, of, of God's faithfulness in that life. I, I just... Uh, I just I want to honor mom and dad today for doing that too. And uh, we were teasing. You know, Pastor Allen's here this morning. He uh, he pastored here for a few years and 20 years in Manitowoc. And he asked, well, Dwayne, do you have any family in Eau Claire anymore? And, and Dwayne pointed across the room to me. Well, we're not in Eau Claire, but we were an extension of your family because of that very brief time in your life. But it doesn't take a lot of time for God to do an amazing transformation, does it, Dwayne? really beautiful, isn't it? So, uh, so how do we avoid that spirit that's present in our culture? Again, uh, live our lives 
by the example of Jesus. Read the Bible through the lens of Jesus and strive to be like the church at Thyatira that led with love and was quick to serve and filled with faith. Isn't that beautiful? We're growing. They were maturing. And uh, strive to combat this spirit of Jezebel by living our lives, by living our lives by as an example of Jesus Christ. Can't lose that way. And I know this just touches the service. And this can, this can be a whole series of understanding God's word and applying it in a way and through the lens of Jesus Christ. But uh, I just leave that with you this morning. I invite the worship team to come up. I just want to pray and make uh, and just remind you as well that as we, as we close with this song, the prayer team will be back in the back. It's more private there. Seems like, every, you know, you're traditionally supposed to come forward for prayer. We go to the back because we're all messed up here with how we enter and how we exit. It's more private for you to go back there. And please, take advantage of that. If you come with a burden today, if you come uh, with a struggle, if something in the message today touched you or affected you or challenged you and you say, man, I just need somebody to pray with me. The people back there are ready to pray with you. The Bible gives a kind of that clear picture of when two or more agree on something that uh, there's a binding and a loosing. We believe Christ has ordered this moment and we have the elders, they're there to pray as well. So we just invite that. Lord Jesus, we just conclude this time now. We thank you, Lord, for your, for just the beautiful picture of this faithful, faithful church in this region of uh, Asia Minor, this ancient church, Lord, that you loved and you commended and then you even brought correction to. And Lord, we pray that if there's any spirit of Jezebel in any of our lives individually, Lord, where we're, where we're, where we're, uh, don't even realize, but we're, we're running from truth rather than running to truth. And, and, and as a result, we're, we're hating truth rather than loving truth, Lord, or, or Lord, just the, just the overall, uh, uh, attitude and, and, and cadence of our life, God, if you would, would you reveal to us areas where we need to pause and, and repent and, and reorder our lives. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are able to do that in our lives today. Lord, we, we give you our strength, which is weakness, and we take on your strength. And we ask you for the power to walk focused. Thank you for your beautiful word, Lord. Thank you for your, your scripture that points to Jesus from the Old Testament to the New Covenant, where we can, we can find out how to live and, and, and love and to, to uh, but shows us a, a beautiful reflection of Jesus and your, and your ministry and your, uh, and your power and your authority. Lord, we just give you our, our lives today and we commit the rest of this day into your hands, Lord. We pray be glorified in our lives, Lord, as we love our world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and join us? i
vision. What a really profound declaration that is. Um, amen. Amen. Well, so just to qualify, so I'm not branded a heretic too badly this morning. Yes, we believe in God's word. We believe it's authoritative. We believe it's applicable. We believe all that Paul's letter to Timothy says in that statement. But I also understand that, and I've walked and I've practiced this, that I've taken an understanding of scripture and I've used it as more of a baseball bat than a, a welcoming embrace to those around me who don't look like me or act like me or live like me. In, uh, in, in the light of the revelation that I've experienced in, in, in encountering Christ Jesus. So just look at Jesus. We can't go back and apply a standard given to a people and call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. They would have stoned me for disobedience years ago, all right? I wasn't the nicest little kid, right? Do you know, you, you see, see I'm saying? Be, and so just looking, so how did Jesus treat the adulterer? How did Jesus treat the sinner, the, the broken? the tax collector, the, the worst of the worst in that day, how did, he, he hung out with them and his love transformed their lives and that's what I believe we are being called to be as a church. Those that reflect Jesus Christ and model his love in such a way that bondages are broken over those we love and those we walk, but we gotta love him first, right? Jesus taught enemy love. <laughs> love your, you've heard it said, you know, you know, love, but hate your enemies. I say, love your enemies. Love. Wow. So this week, as you go home and read your word and pray and seek the Lord, put on your Jesus glasses. Go everywhere. In fact, as you go to the Old Testament, ask Jesus to lead the way. Don't go unless he's going with you. Because if you want to understand God, look at Jesus. If you want to understand the character of God, you look at Jesus Christ. Don't look at, don't get stuck somewhere there in Leviticus or Deuteronomy. You look at Jesus Christ. He is the personification of the living God, all right? So, all right, that's a whole other sermon. Love you all. Grace, peace. Go out where it's cooler. Have a great day. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridgeway.church.